Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, we're going to be in verses 12 through 16 today. But if you'll, uh, matter of fact, guys, I told you to turn to Luke 6, that's where we'll be. But if you'll, if you'll flip over to Matthew 13 real quick. Matthew 13, verses 31 through 33, just a couple really short parables. Matthew 13, 31 through 33. Speaking about the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says this, He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and rest, or come and nest in its branches. Verse 33, And He spoke another parable to them, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. Just making the simple point, guys, that this thing starts out small. <laughs> starts out small. Started out with those few, those, those few disciples he had. And, and that's, that's the point he's making. This thing's going to grow. The kingdom's going to grow. He's going to build his church. And, and of course, we can look down through church history and we can see that, that happening. Uh, and I don't pretend to know the the numbers. Nobody does of you know uh, how many nations have been you know evangelized and discipled, or how many actual Christians there are. But we know one thing that it's growing. That he is building his church, just like he said he would. Um, in this dark world, as we see the you know we see the world. It's not it's not easy to or it's not hard to tell that the world is growing darker. And it is, but we can never lose sight, guys, that, that the two are happening side by side. That even as the world grows darker and evil, it seems to be prevailing, His church is on the, is on the, it's on the upside. It's growing. He's building His church. When you think of a place like China, for example, evil place, atheistic communism, but you know what? The church is exploding over there. That's what I hear. And so God is building His church. His, in other words, His plan is being accomplished. His plan is being accomplished. And so, really to our text today, to our point today, how is He doing it? How does He do it? Who does He use to do this? Some great, mighty army? No. No, think of Gideon. Think of the, the twelve that we're going to look at today. He, does it, he doesn't do it through mighty men and mighty women, because... There are none of those. As Paul Washer says, there are no great men of God. There's just a sinners and a great God. <laughs> so it's a great God using weak people. Um, he does it with His men. Not mighty men, but He does it with His men. His women. And so that's why I entitled the sermon today is Are You Christ's Man? Are You Christ's Woman? Because we're going, to look at, we're going to be looking at Christ's men today. Christ's men. I had it entitled just Christ's men. But I want us to answer that question, ask ourselves that question throughout. Are you Christ's man? Are you Christ's woman? Because that's who He accomplishes this with, is His men, His women. With that promise, the same promise that, that I read just a while ago, He'll be with us. You see, He's with His men. He's with His women. That's the difference between... If you're one of Christ's men, 
<laughs> He's with you. He's not with the, the one who maybe appears to be on the outside, but He's with His men. He's with His women. You know, this is what the world needs today more than anything else. Christ's men and Christ's women being faithful to Him. And it's what the church needs. The church needs the real men, the real women, Christ's men, Christ's women to stand up and be accounted for. And so that's the question today that I want to leave you with. Actually, the title of the message is, Are You Christ's Man? Are You Christ's Woman? And so we're in Luke 6 today, verses 12 through 16. And it says this, It was at this time that He went off to the mountain to pray, and He spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, He called His disciples to Him and chose twelve of them, whom he also named as apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon who is called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> oh, Father, we... Lord, we come to you in weakness today, God. Uh, Father, we confess that we are weak. Confess that we need Your grace today, Lord. I need Your grace today, God. I just need, to, I need Your Holy Spirit, Father, to help me to proclaim Your Word today, God. And we need Your Holy Spirit, Father, to help us to apply it, Lord. To apply it to our lives, God. To, to obey what we hear. And so, Father, we just dedicate our time to You today. We pray that Christ will be glorified. We pray that Your will would be done, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So are you Christ's man? Are you Christ's woman? If you have your bulletin, we have three points today. We're going to look at, these, we're going to look at the twelve today. And we're going to see three things and try to make application as we go through it. And ask ourselves, am I Christ's man? Am I Christ's woman? And so the first thing we're going to see about these, his men, is that he prays for them in verse 12. He prays for them. It was at this time, um, from the reading that I did, it appears that not much time had, had lapsed since verse 11, whenever he, he met the Pharisees and corrected their views and rebuked them for their... Uh, for their views on the Sabbath, their traditions. And so this, this appears to be pretty directly after that. Not much time had gone by, and it says it was at this time. So after this, again, opposition, guys. Remember, that's what's going on. Opposition is building here in Christ's ministry. It was at this time, He went off to the mountain to pray, and He spent the whole night in prayer to God. So we see the first thing about His men is that He prays for them. He prays for them. Literally, He's praying. The context here, He's spending all night in prayer to God, guys, and make no mistake about it, because you see in the very next verse, when day came, He called His disciples to Him and chose twelve of them. We can see real easily what He's praying for with His Father. He's praying about these twelve. He's praying about these men. Again, the opposition is growing. The hostility is growing. Jesus knows He's going to die. He knows He's not going to be on the scene much longer. He knows the cross is looming. 
And so the question is, is who will continue to work? Who will continue the work? Remember, he is fully God, but he's also fully man. And that's why we see him times like this. He had a habit of this, right? Getting alone with his father. Long periods of time with his father. But that's the context of this prayer. Beloved, this is this is ministry, right? This is the heart of ministry. He's praying. Choosing the right men. Who are these men that's going to take the baton after I'm gone? He's praying. It's like us, you know. We pray for, we pray for, uh, for uh, you know, leaders in the church. We pray for laborers in the field. We need to be praying for these things. He's setting an example for us right here. But that's what he's doing. He's praying for. We're going to be these twelve that we see. These are the men who would take the gospel to the world. You realize what an important mission these men have. Right? These are the men who got all of this started. You know, there's many important men in our world today with many important missions. You know, when you think of uh, things in our military and different, different missions that people are on, very important people, but nothing is more important than this mission here. You realize that, guys? Even with us, with the Great Commission, nobody has a more important mission than we do in this world to take the gospel to this world. But these were the twelve he was going to choose. What did, what did He say He came to do? He came to seek and to save the lost, right? That's why Jesus came. He came to seek and to save the lost, but He's, he's soon going to be gone. He's not going to be here. So how is He going to do it? Well, He's going to do it through these men. So what we can see here, Jesus even set an example for us, guys. We see Him on a big decision like this. He's praying first. He's setting prayer as a priority, guys. In other words, this is, this is something that he's got to get right, you know. Choose the right men. And he did get it right. All 12 of them. It was, it was the plan of God. But we see him praying. We see him once again making a priority of prayer. And it says in verse 12 that it, it was at this time he went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer. The whole night in prayer, guys. He got alone with God. He got alone with his Father. And he did this often. Are you Christ's man? First point of application, guys, is even as we look at this. Are you Christ's man? We see, we see Christ being an example, right? He's, he's his father's man. And so we see Christ spending time alone with his father. You know? You want power in your life? In your Christian life? Do you want, are you lacking power? Are you lacking zeal? Are you lacking intimacy? Are you lacking excitement? Do you spend time alone with God? See, sometimes we can overcomplicate the Christian life. And sometimes it's just a matter of getting back to the basics. Pattern your life after Christ, guys. I'm speaking to myself as well. We need to pattern our life after Him. He spent... He spent much time, long periods of time with his father. Often. Listen to Matthew Henry. I love this. Sometimes his quotes are just uh, gems. Matthew Henry says this. He was alone with God. And he says this. We are never less alone than when we are thus alone. You're never less alone than when you're alone with God. You hear that? When you're alone with God, guys, you are the furthest thing from being alone. 
Okay, we need to understand that as Christians. Do you treasure your time alone with God? If somebody could, if somebody could, could peek into your daily schedule, could they say, wow, man, that man, that woman values time alone with God? That's a convicting question for every single one of us. But do you treasure time alone with God? I don't think we can answer that yes if we're not spending time alone with Him. But Christ did. Do you realize the never-ending fountain of grace that you have at your disposal, guys? Your time alone with Christ? Do you realize that? It says... It says he spent the whole night with him. That's a question we need to ask, guys. Why don't we spend longer time, longer times in prayer? Other than I think the obvious answer is prayer is hard. It is hard sometimes. It, it is difficult. I can tell you. I can tell you a practical way that helped me as far as spending larger quantities of time in prayer. And I'm talking about just spending time with your Father. Open up the Psalms. Pray through a psalm. We talked about that with the men here a while back. Just pray through a psalm. Just read through the psalm. And what, when you read that psalm, whatever comes to your mind, start conversing with the Father. And it's amazing what God will do. He will open your spirit up. And you'll be praying for things according to the will of God that, that you never would have thought. But we need to be spending time with God. Listen, Henry goes on. He says, we have a great deal of business at the throne of grace. So in other words, prayer, there's different things. We, when we spend time with God in prayer, there are different things that's going on. He said, what, what a, we have a great deal of business at the throne of grace, right? Maybe confessing sins. Maybe intercessory prayer for other people. Some of that hard work type praying. He says, we have a great deal of business at the throne of grace and we should take a great delight in communion with God. See, sometimes prayer is nothing more than that. You need to take care of your own soul, guys. You need to take care of your own soul before you can truly be used by God. You need to take care of your own soul on a daily basis and be spending time alone with God. If Jesus needed it, if the God-man needed it, how much more do we? That needs to be a discipline in your life. Not just a, a thing to check off. Get alone with God. Turn your phone off. Turn the computer off. Turn the TV off. Whatever it is that distracts you. And set time alone with God and seek His face. And he says by both of these, by, the, by, by taking a great deal of business and by taking a great delight in communion with God, he says by both these we may be kept sometimes long in prayer. So, just learn to delight in God, guys. So the first thing we see, simply, he prays for these men. He's, he's praying for them, for the right men. But I want you to know that he also prayed for them after he chose them. And he prays for you as well. You realize that. Would it not affect us? Would it not affect your Christian life for the better? If you thought, man, I know Jesus is in that room right there praying for me. Well, he is. He is. Look at John 17 real quickly. John 17, 18-21. I think we discussed this on Wednesday here several weeks ago. This exact thing. John 17, 
He's praying to his Father in the presence of his... This was his last night with his disciples. And he says this, 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in the truth. So obviously he's praying for his disciples, his men. But verse 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who will believe in me through their word. That's you guys. Jesus is praying for us that they may be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. He's praying for you, dear church. Hebrews 7.25 says He always lives to make intercession for us. So we see He's praying for His men. That's just the first thing that I want us to see. He's praying for them. And obviously at the same time, we, we can see what an example He is for us as His men, as His women, to be men and women of prayer. And secondly, we see in this passage here, His men, that He chooses them. He prays for them on the mountain. And then in verse 13, He chooses them. It says, when day came, He called His disciples to Him and chose 12 of them. Just stop there. Chose 12 of them. So it says that His disciples came to Him. Or He called His disciples and chose 12 of them. Disciple, just a learner or student. In the first century, it had a little more meaning to it. It, it, it was not just somebody who studied a subject. But it, was, but it was somebody who followed a teacher. That's what they would do. They would follow, they would follow Him. You know, we had our grandson. I always love having our grandson. We had both of them. And, you know, and, and Jace is now three. And so they're just little, they're little disciples is what they are. <laughs> they follow, they follow, they follow mom and dad. They follow Nana and Papa. And so you can set a good example or you can set a bad example. But, you know, Jace loves seeing Papa get his chainsaw out and cut a tree down. And so he's, he's Papa's little disciple. And Tyler said he comes home and he, he wants to cut all of our trees down. <laughs> and they've only got a few in their yard. He's like, Daddy, cut that one down. Cut that one down. But that's a disciple. That's a disciple. I could, I could, I could get a book and explain to Jace about cutting a tree down. And he would nod his head. But, hey, let's, you want to go watch Papa do that? Yeah. So that's what a disciple is. You know, I can, the same way, guys, up here, I can preach on evangelism. I can be telling you guys need to share Christ with people, but if I'm not doing it, how much are you going to be motivated to do it? I can tell men, hey, you need to be loving your wives. Love your wives to be. But if you guys don't see me loving my wife, not only is that not discipleship, but I'm being a hypocrite. And so discipleship is more than just head knowledge. And so, But he had many disciples because it uses the word disciples. We also, when you see the word disciples in the Gospels, guys, just remember... Some of them were true and some of them weren't. Because you'll see passages where, you know, many disciples, you know, walked away from Him. So that word disciples is very vague there. But within that, there are many true disciples as well. And so it was out of this group that He chose 12. He chose the 12. It reminds me of John 15, 16, where Jesus told His disciples, you did not choose Me, right? Is that, is that, is that difficult to understand? <laughs> You did not choose me, but I chose you. I made a choice about you. 
But there's more to that verse than just that, guys. He said, You did not choose Me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. What does it mean to be chosen by God? He chose us to go and bear fruit. He told His disciples that, guys. But I want to ask you that. Are you Christ man? Are you Christ woman? Do you bear fruit? Do you bear fruit? Ephesians 1.4, Paul agrees. Just as He chose us in Him. When? After we decided for Him? No. Before the foundation of the world. That we would be holy and blameless before Him. You know, I just read, I just finished that book that I was reading by Jonathan Edwards, really, really just on what a, uh, really what a true Christian looks like as compared to false faith, these type of things. When the Spirit of God, this, this, the results of what it looks like to be converted, and and probably one of his. I wish I'd maybe written a quote, but I didn't realize it at the time in the sermon. But um, probably the section in the book that he emphasized the most of what a true Christian is is a, is a person through regeneration that now desires holiness. Okay, that should be our desire, because for an unconverted man, that's not going to be there. Do you desire to be holy, guys? Do you desire to be holy and to be blameless? That should be our desire. And then, and then, and then Peter says in 1 Peter 2.9, this whole idea of being chosen. He says, you are a chosen race. He's writing this to the, to the church. You are a chosen race. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for God's own possession. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Oh, do you hear that, guys? We were chosen. You're a chosen race so that you may proclaim Him who saved you. Are you Christ's man? Are you Christ's woman? Do you have a desire to proclaim the One who delivered you out of darkness? That should be there. That desire should be there. Do we desire to tell others about Christ? Has God chosen you? We see Him choosing these men, guys. We see Him praying for them. We see Him choosing them. And then the rest of the sermon we're going to devote to the third point. He sends them. He sends them. In verse 13b, the end of verse 13, so He, he, he called His disciples to Him. He chose twelve of them, whom He also named as apostles. So now we're seeing the apostles. Again, guys, I want you to remember, we're going to look at their lives here in just a minute. Just a brief look at each one of these guys. Just real brief. If you want a deeper look at it, go read MacArthur's book, 12 Ordinary Men. It's a good book. Um, But just remember, guys, these are ordinary men. Just like Gideon. Remember that. Just ordinary men. Weak men. Frail men. But not an ordinary mission. These apostles were not given an ordinary mission. The word apostles, it just means someone sent. A messenger. It could have a broad meaning, the word, the, the word apostles. You can see in the book of Acts that other men will be called apostles because it just means a messenger. Okay, But in this context, this is talking about the, clo- the twelve that were clothed 
with a specific authority from Christ Himself. And you can see their mission over in Mark chapter 3. Um, you don't have to, if you want to jot it down, you can see their specific mission that He gives them in Mark's account. Mark 3, 14 and 15. And He went up on the mountain and summoned those whom He Himself wanted, and they came to Him, and He appointed twelve so that they would be with Him and that He could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. So so that was their mission. It was a preaching mission, right? He gave them authority to heal, to cast out demons. They would be speaking the very words of God, these apostles. In John 14, verse 26, he He told His men on that last night, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in My name. He will teach you. This is a specific promise to those men on that night. These these men. These apostles. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So guys, these were the authors of the New Testament Scripture. Either the apostles or, or men who were directly linked with them under their authority. He was giving them the authority to write His very words, guys. They were connected with Christ directly with His authority. Their words that they penned in Scripture has the same authority of when Christ was here. In other words, guys, if you have a red letter Bible, that's fine, but the black letters are just as authoritative. <laughs> that's, what we, that's what we can see from that. Ephesians 2.20, we see just the, just the importance of these men, the apostles. Paul says God's household, the church, hadn't been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. These were common men, but their role in redemptive history, their authority that they were given from Christ was very specific. The church was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. Now who are these twelve? Who are these twelve? Well, let's take a brief look at them, guys. Let's take a brief look at them. At these twelve Christ men. These are Christ men that He used. Christ men, these common men. These men who turned the world upside down in their day. These men that were just like Gideon. Weak, sinful, frail, scared, Men that Christ used. So let's look at them. Verse 14. The first one we see is Simon. He was also named Peter. Simon was a fisherman. In every list of the apostles that's given in the New Testament, we see Simon Peter is the first mentioned. He is, he, in other words, he had a position of leadership within the twelve. He, you can see he and James and John are considered the, the inner three. And so you would see them listed together and you would see Peter at the top. It's what we call, he was what you would call the first among equals. He was an apostle. Same authority as the rest, but but he was the first among equals. He became the spokesman for the group. In John chapter 1, verse 42, Jesus said, you will be called Cephas. You will be called Peter. And so by grace, he would become Peter, which which means rock. Uh, But I'll tell you what, if you look at his behavior and his life, He could have earned the name sand rather than rock. He was very, very up and down. 
Really, he, Peter was really, really good at times and really, really bad at times. But guys, are we any different? <laughs> We're not any different. Just think if our life was recorded in Holy Scripture. Uh, I'm glad it's not. But we're not, we're not any different than Him. But just a couple, because we want to move quickly. Just a couple of examples of this, of Him being really, really good and really bad. When we think of His confession in Matthew 16. You know, who, who do the people say that I am, you know? And what, and what did Peter say? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Doesn't get any better than that, does it? It's like, wow, Peter got it right. But then we see, not long after that, what do we see him doing? Denying his Lord three times, even in front of a young girl. I don't know the man, it says he cursed. We can even see it, and I'm going to turn over to Matthew 16, not only in what, Matt, or in what Peter said, but what, in, on, in what <coughs> Christ said to Peter. You can see how good it was at times. In Matthew 16, verses 21 through 23. So this is just following the section above is when he made that confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Listen to verses 21 through 23. From that time, Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and, and raised up on the third day. He's talking about the cross and the resurrection. Peter takes him aside and began to rebuke him. God forbid it, Lord. You're not. That's not going to happen to you. Just trust me, Lord. I won't let it. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Wow. That, and that comes after. So, so, so when Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus says, Statement to him then was, I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And then just a little few verses down, get behind me, Satan. This guy's all over the place, isn't he? He's just like us. But you know what this tells me? Church, and you know why this encourages me, and I want to encourage you. Peter needed sanctification. You and I need sanctification. I don't want you to. Be discouraged, guys, when you fall. God's not finished with you. You realize that? Even you, Bob. Been walking with the Lord a long time. But God's not finished with us. We're going to fall. I remind myself of Peter way too often by the things I say because I get passionate and I say something. And I thought, I probably shouldn't have said that. But, uh, but he's sanctifying us. Amen? Amen? Oh, I'm so thankful for sanctification. So thankful for sanctification. He's not done with him. He wasn't done with Peter. He's not done with you. Peter was the spokesman. Listen to Mark 14.31. This is when Jesus says, you're going to deny me, Peter. Peter says, it says, but, but Peter kept saying, he kept saying this insistently, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. See, we remember that. But do we remember this part? And they were all saying the same thing. Peter's always out in front. But they were all the same. We do the same thing. Man, we sing to the Lord. We're making these promises to the Lord as we sing. <laughs> and then we go out. And... 
deny Him with our silence. Jesus was so patient and is so gracious and He restored Peter. You realize that? He told him He would restore him. And He did. And we can see His sermon at Pentecost where He preached to the same group that had Christ crucified. The same man who denied Jesus and three times is now pointing His finger saying, you crucified Him. And God saved 3,000. And then, and then if you just read, we could, I mean, there's so much more you could look at Peter's life. But if you just look at his two, his two letters, First and Second Peter, and just see, this is the man who was so unstable and denied him and put his foot in his mouth, and now he's ministering to God's people as a fellow elder. You could just see the shepherd's heart. God had sanctified him. And he eventually did die. He eventually did die. He was martyred upside down by Nero. You guys have probably heard that. He's like, I don't even deserve to be crucified like my, like my Lord. Crucify me upside down. And tradition says that's what happened. He, he had many flaws, but he forsook all for his Lord. He was Christ's man. He was Christ's man. Andrew, his brother, Peter's brother, also a fisherman. He was the first disciple called that we see when he was calling his disciples to himself. Um, formerly, he was a disciple of John the Baptist. Andrew was. He was the one who brought Peter to Jesus. You know what we can learn from him, guys? Because we're just looking at these guys real quickly. Andrew seems to be a great example of a nobody bringing somebody to Jesus. In this case, his brother. But you know what's beautiful about that? Something that we can learn from that, something that we can glean from that, is it's one of those examples, guys. You look at how God used Peter. Somebody had to bring Peter to the Messiah, and it was his brother. You just never know who you may, bring, who you may be bringing to Christ. You and I are just to be faithful. But somebody had to tell Spurgeon. Somebody had to tell Whitfield. Somebody had to tell so-and-so. And you never know. God may use you in a simple gospel witness, maybe a few words, maybe a track, and God may use that person to be a missionary in a foreign land that you never know about until glory. What are we required to do? Be faithful. Andrew, he was, he was, um, he was Christ's man. He was crucified on a cross that was shaped like an X. A man who forsook all who did give his life for Christ. The next we see James and John, along with Peter, the inner three of the twelve. These were known as the sons of Zebedee. Their dad was a fisherman. They were fishermen. So we know, we know that these four were fishermen. That's what we know about their occupation. Nickname, Bonerges, the sons of thunder, because they wanted to bring fire down from heaven. You guys remember that account on some Samaritans? You want us to bring fire down, Lord? You want us to bring, be like Elijah? <sighs> uh, they were men with a lot of zeal. <laughs> a lot of passion. You've heard, you've, heard, you've heard that phrase, man? That guy's got a lot of... Uh, he goes into a china shop, like a bull in a china shop. That's what these guys were like, I guess. I could just see these guys big, powerful preachers, man. But again, needed sanctified. I wonder later in their, in, in their sanctification... As they matured, they were going, man, I can't believe we asked the Lord to call fire down. <laughs> we're supposed to be evangelizing those people. 
But again, be encouraged, guys. I know I need sanctified in that area because I've had that kind of spirit. I've had that kind of spirit towards God's, God's enemies. Guys, they're not our enemies. Okay? They may be God's enemies. We were once God's enemies in our sin. But the world's not our enemies. The world's a mission field. So don't have the spirit of James and John of calling fire down. <laughs> if you do repent, I've needed to repent of that many times. Now we're to take the, the gospel to these people. Uh, James, he was the first apostle that was martyred. He was martyred by King Herod. And then John, his brother, known as the apostle of love, the disciple whom Jesus loved. There was evidently a very intimate relationship with Jesus and, and, and John. He was the only one that was not martyred, although he was boiled in oil, but he survived. And then we know the story, sentenced to prison on the island of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. Philip, Philip's our next one. Uh, not much in the New Testament about him. He came and told Nathaniel. He was the one who came and told Nathaniel we found the Messiah. Uh, not to be confused with Philip the Evangelist who, who evangelized the Ethiopian eunuch, but obviously we know that he was sent to preach. He was a preacher. So he was an evangelist in a sense. He was sent to preach the Gospel with authority. Um, tradition says that, uh, that his missionary work went as far as modern day France. You think about that, guys, in God's providence. Where did the Gospel come to America from? England, you know. So, And then Philip died by crucifixion as well. Christ man. That's who he was. Christ man. These were Christ men. These are men who are willing to give it all for the Lord. These are, these are men who... They understood the main thing. They gave their lives for the main thing. To preach the Gospel. To obey that great commission that we saw earlier. They understood that Christ promised. Right? That He would be with them. To the end. And He was. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Bartholomew is next, or also known as Nathaniel. Not a whole lot known about him. He was the, the one in John chapter 1, verses 45 through 48. He said to Philip, he was the one who said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then Jesus told him, Behold, he's an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. He was that guy. Not a whole lot there, but, uh, but we know that he became a missionary to Armenia, which is Southwest Asia. He helped start the first Christian church there and he was, he was filleted alive and beheaded. That was God's wonderful plan for him, for Bartholomew. But I say again, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Victory in Jesus Christ. They were faithful to the very end. That's what we're seeing with every one of these guys. Christ's men, they were faithful to the end. They were not perfect, but they were faithful men. Matthew, in verse 15, we talked about him. A few weeks ago, uh, in, in chapter 5, verse 27, so if you wanted more information on him, go back and listen to that if you weren't here. But obviously we know he was a tax collector, um, working for the Romans you know, to tax the Jews, and everything that went with that, he was hated by the Jews, he was considered a traitor. And so, um, but as far as what happened to Matthew afterwards, he was known to take the gospel to Ethiopia, where he established a church in Ethiopia, and he also was beheaded. But what was Christ's promise to Matthew and the others? I will be with you. I will be with you. Thomas. 
known as Doubting Thomas. That's not really a fair statement. He gets a bad rap. Doubting Thomas, you know. Kind of throw him under the bus. But listen to John 11. In John chapter 11. So this is when um, Lazarus had died. Okay? And, and so Jesus is telling His disciples. He said, He's telling them that Lazarus died and now He's saying, let us go to, back to Judea again. And, and the disciples were saying, Rabbis, the Jews were just trying to kill you. And you want to go back? Obviously, they're just, they're just you know, thinking, is this the smartest thing to do? But listen to what Thomas says. You can, just, you can see his devotion. You can hear his devotion to his Lord. He said, let us go also so that we may die with Him. You can see the love he had for Him. He so loved Jesus and was so devastated and so crushed by, by, by Christ's death on the cross that he, he simply would not allow himself to believe anymore. Unless I see it. Unless I see it. And, and in John chapter 25, that was his famous statement. Um, I'm going to turn there real quickly. That was his statement in John 20, 25. So the other disciples were saying to him, this is when the Lord had appeared, we have seen the Lord. But he said to him, unless I see his hands and the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. And of course, Jesus, after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger. We just see the grace of our Lord here. And see my hands, reach here your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believing. And then, of course, Thomas says, Great confession here. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Another man, another, another common man, but he was Christ's man. He became a, Thomas became a missionary to India and was killed with a spear. I think, was it Jim Elliot and his men that were killed with the spear? So, Jim Elliot's forefather of the, of the martyrdom, killed with a spear. These men giving it all for Christ. These are the type of men that are in Hebrews 11. The, the, the hall of faith. These men that gave it all for Christ. They believe the promise that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That, that He commissioned them to go. That, that He would be with them. And they went. That's what Christ's men and women do. They go. We don't complicate it. Right? We don't need to complicate it. Go, therefore. I have all authority. You go. And don't fear those who kill the body. I think, they, I think they eventually got that, don't you? They understood that. Don't fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. Rather, fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The next one, James of Alphaeus. Or, or he was known as James the Less. Uh, we don't know why he was known as James the Less. Maybe he was younger or maybe he was shorter than the other James. But he was known as James the Less. But what we do know is uh, that he became a missionary to Syria. But in AD 62, he was recalled back to Jerusalem and tried by the Jewish leaders as a heretic. It's always a good thing when you're called a heretic by a, an apostate religion. <laughs> Reminds you of Luther and others. They were 
known as the heretics by the Roman Catholic Church. That's what happened to, to James of Alphaeus. And he was, he was thrown off the pinnacle of the temple, beloved. But he did not die. So they crushed his head with a large stone. I want you to remember what we talked about at the beginning, the cosmic war that's going on, the seed of the serpent. The seed of the serpent is alive and well. It's alive and well if you go out to our streets and you start preaching Christ. You can see the the kingdom of darkness always. There's a battle going on and it's raging. But we know that the seed of the woman crushed the serpent's head. But there's always going to be a battle. Unbelievers and the believers. And that's what we see in all these cases. The hatred of Christ. The hatred of His people. But again, another man... Another man, he was Christ's man. Simon the Zealot belonged to a radical group of zealots. Their, their zeal was all political zeal. They wanted to overthrow Rome with violence. Listen to this, guys. Think about this. Think about the saving grace of Jesus Christ and what Christ does for people like us, right? If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become. You think about, you think about Simon the Zealot and Matthew being in the same group. Okay? Matthew worked for the Romans to tax the Jews and Simon was a zealot who wanted to kill the Romans. And yet Christ called them both as apostles. That's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. As Paul said, we no longer see people according to the flesh. They could look at each other as brothers in Christ now indwelt by the same Spirit. What a lesson for us. God calls men and women from every walk of life, from every background, but you and I are in the body of Christ. Right? None of that stuff should matter. We shouldn't see people according to the flesh. We shouldn't look at their physical appearance or their background. This is my brother in Christ. What a glorious gospel. And then in verse 16, we see two more. Judas, the son of James. In Matthew and Mark, you'll see him called Thaddeus and also Jude. Not to be confused with Jude, the Lord's brother, who wrote the epistle of Jude. There's really not much information on this Judas, but tradition says that he helped Bartholomew Bartholomew or Nathaniel uh, with the Armenian church, and he also was martyred. And then last, Judas Iscariot, who you could say wasn't God's man. Outwardly he was for a period of time, but he never was inwardly. Luke says he became a traitor. We know the story. Tragic story. After his betrayal, he went out and hung himself. Right? He gave up the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. Went out and hung himself. He was called the son of perdition. Went out and hung himself and went to hell. I think what we can be reminded of from Judas Iscariot is that's why, first of all, you don't see any little boys running around named Judas. But... In a more serious note, it's a reminder that there's always tares among the wheat. That there's always the false and the true sitting side by side. It's a reminder of why we emphasize the Gospel in this church, even in this room. Because the Scriptures paint a picture of there's always the good fish and the bad. They're going to be sorted out in the end, but they're together. The wheat and the tares. And that's why the Gospel needs to always be 
We always need to be hearing. We always need to be hearing. We always need to be examining. We always need to be having the truth set before us. But these were His men, guys. These weren't the elite of the world. Isn't that amazing? None of, they were furthest thing from the elite. They were the common men. They were not the elite financially. They were rather poor. They were not the elite the elite of the religious establishment. What a rebuke to Israel it was that He came and chose His men and none of them were from the established religion, from the Pharisees or any other sect. But He went out and chose these, just these despised common men, tax collectors, fishermen, and others. Common men. Listen to, how, listen to how His men are described in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. When Peter and John was arrested for being His men, for proclaiming Christ and the authorities, it says, now as they, the authorities, observed the confidence of Peter and John. I'm, I'm going to stop there before I read the rest of that. As they observed the confidence of Peter and John. Why would Peter and John have been so confident? Beloved, because they walked with Him. They followed Him. They witnessed His crucifixion. And then what else? His resurrection. That's what changed it all. Is that what not changes it all in our life? The resurrection power of Jesus Christ is what separates a true regenerate, born-again Christian from anybody else. We have experienced the power of Christ's resurrection. I used to be this, but now I'm this. And it's because Christ is alive in us. They observed the confidence of Peter and John and they understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. That's who these men were in the world's eyes, right? In, the, in, the, in the, the religious establishment eyes, they were uneducated and untrained. And it says they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. That is so beautiful. They could recognize, man, these men have been with Jesus. Are you Christ's man here today? Are you Christ's woman? Have you been with Jesus? And people tell, man, that person's different. They've been with Jesus. It says they were uneducated. And to the world's eyes, they were. But beloved Paul speaks about, I believe it's in Ephesians, of us learning Christ. Have you learned Him? Not learned about Him, but do you learn Him? Back to that quiet place. Back to that time alone with God. That's when we're with Jesus. That's when we learn Him. That's when we lay our head on His chest and hear how His heart beats. Through His Word and through His Spirit. and through It's something that we have to cultivate in our lives, guys. We bring so many problems into our Christian lives out of neglect of time alone with God. I believe it with all my heart. You have to deal with your heart on a regular basis. Or else we'll end up like the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2. We have all this knowledge. We have all this, 
this doctrine, all these truths, but our love for Christ has grown cold because we're neglecting our time with Him. Are you a Christ man or are you a Christ woman? See, these men that we looked at make no doubt. They knew Him in an intimate way. They learned Him. They spent time with Him. That's why they were willing to forsake all and go and, and sacrifice it all to Him. May we do the same. Are you trained by Him? It says they were untrained men. That was the opinion of the authorities. But in actuality, no, they were trained by Him. They walked with Him. Are you trained by Him, guys? Are you trained by Him in your Word? There's no substitute for spending time in God's Word. For reading the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. However you decide to do that. And then when you're done, start over. <laughs> Getting familiar with God's Word. There's no substitute for time with God's Word and with a devotional attitude. Lord, I want to know You more. That's who these men were. These were men, beloved. They were ordinary men who forsook all to gain Christ. Are you Christ's man? Are you Christ's woman? And for anybody who would wonder or not be sure how to answer that question, to even answer that question, ever to answer that question, yes, first you must know Him. First you must know Him. You must truly know Him. Do you truly know Him? First you must have repented of your sin. You must forsake your own righteousness. Turn from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ and surrender to Him as Lord. And believe the Gospel, right? Have you done that? Have you turned to Christ? Have you bowed the knee to Jesus Christ? And beloved, I would encourage you all in here to don't neglect your time with God. Don't neglect time with God. Let Him sanctify you. Let Him cultivate that Christ-likeness in you. We get one life to live. Amen? One life. And it's a, it's a vapor. Let's not waste our life. Let's not waste our life on trivial matters. Okay? But let's truly be Christ men. I mean, you can be Christ men. You can be a converted man, converted woman, but kind of flounder in your life. And we all go through those times. But guys, let us run the race with every ounce of fiber we have. Okay? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for such a clear example of grace. We look at these men's lives. and We look at how you accomplish your purposes in this world, Lord. It's not through any mighty army. Not through powerful people. Not through the wealthy. Not through horses and chariots, but by your power, by your Spirit, who indwells your men. Father, help us to be your men and your women in here today. Father, help us to learn to be encouraged by these by these twelve that You chose and their willingness to forsake all and follow You even to the point of death. These were men 
like you say in your word about Elijah, who are no different than we are, men with natures just like we have, sinners who have the same struggles we have, but who, who clung to a mighty Savior. And so, Father, I just pray, God, that we could just glean some of that today and, and that we would embrace our weakness. That we would embrace our weakness and allow You to, to be strong through our lives because of our weakness. Father, just teach us more and more each day as we walk with You of what it means to be Your man and Your woman. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.